1: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Lentesta, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, July 31st, 2023. Happy birthday to my twin sister, Linda. On today's show, news and listener questions. Then in our main segment, Jim and a special guest tell us what the early days were like when Disney announced the construction of Shanghai Disneyland back in 2005. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that your Taco Bell order is a better predictor of who you are than astrology. But that's just him talking as a Crunchwrap Supreme. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going?
0: Uh, oh, Taco <laughs> Bell and, you know, Pavlov was right, by the way. You know, when you hear the dong of that bell, I do, in fact, salivate. All right. And would like to introduce a
1: special guest for today's show. Jim Schull was a Disney Imagineer for 33 years, most recently as executive creative director at Walt Disney Imagineering. Jim designed new rides, shows, attractions, lands, and hotels for Disney theme parks all over the world including things like Rock and Roller Coaster, The Toy Story Lands, and my personal favorite, The Cool Ship Stand in the Magic Kingdom's Tomorrowland. Every time I walk by. Every time I walk by, Jim. Plus, he's worked on Shanghai Disneyland, today's show's topic. Let's welcome Jim to the show. How's it going, Jim Scholl?
2: It's great to be back.
1: All right, Jim and Jim, let's do a quick shout-out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers John Wright, Stacey Horseman, Scott Dagnon, and Phil Taylor. Hey, Phil. And longtime subscribers Becky Splashmommy, Mui Guapo Grant, Scott Clay, and Chian. Jim, these are the Disney cast members working furiously to bring the Swedish chef to Epcot's Food and Wine Festival later this year. They say the two main obstacles are the chef's intense touring schedule and the litigation with IKEA over lingonberry stones. <laughs>
0: true story. I would really like this to be a true story. I, I think that is been a bone of contention with me for decades now. I just wish the Muppets had a stronger presence in the park. Maybe it could be wrong. It's it's cool to have them in yeah. the barbecue place at the American uh, Adventure, you know. Yeah. And and they, and they
1: have that uh they have a food and wine stand this year, but it's uh video screens, not actual Muppets.
0: Yeah. yeah. Not the same.
1: Not the same. Eh, not the same. But still. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, let's do the news. The news is sponsored by Touring Plans Travel Agency. Yes, we have a travel agency, too, mm-hmm. and we can help you book your next trip. Plus, it comes with a free Touring Plans subscription. Check us out at touringplans.com travel. All right, Jim, as I uh, as I mentioned, food and wine is started today at Epcot, and our own Christina Harrison is at Epcot today for the opening of the festival, and she's been sending in live reports to me throughout the day. Um, Jim, sadly, one of our favorite booths is not around for this year's festival. That is the Swanky Saucy Swine
0: no! oh my
1: my initial reaction was every day we stray farther from god's light like that is <laughs> the first thing i said
0: <laughs> oh man uh-huh.
1: I know, right? Exactly, exactly. And then uh, Chrissy pointed out that uh, she's, so Chrissy's doing a couple of interesting things. She's uh, she's tracking both prices and the size of menu items to uh-huh. see if things have, have changed. So Chrissy's reporting that most food items have increased in price by about 25 cents, so mm-hmm. roughly 5%-ish. And that's okay. at Germany, the Alps, China, Belgium, Australia, Brazil, Ireland. At Spain, mm-hmm. the paella went up a little bit more, like 75 mm-hmm. cents. Um, mm-hmm. But that seems to be an outlier. So uh, as Chrissy weighs items, she's going Mm -hmm. to send in uh, weights as compared to last year to see if any shrinkflation is going on. We'll have more on that on an upcoming show.
0: Uh This woman is doing God's work.
1: Just good. Okay. I'm I'm beginning to think a lot of what we're doing here, Jim, is genetic. (laughs) Like it has to be. (laughs) Also, uh, also, Chrissy points out that because food and wine. Runs mm-hmm. this year for 115 days until mm-hmm. November 18th. We'll see snow falling on Main Street six times. That's Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party and mm-hmm. the Christmas Party. Plus the start of Jollywood Nights before the end of Food and Wine. Wow. Also, Jim, uh, Trails Inn Restaurant and in Crockett's Tavern have reopened at Fort Wilderness. And Chris, will have an update on those new menu items soon. Last thing, uh, and I know both of you guys saw this, mm-hmm. Comcast, who owns Universal reported on its earnings call today that theme park attendance at Universal Hollywood was up on the strength of their new Nintendo Land, and attendance was down in Florida, but didn't say by how much. They did say, though, that they're uh, still ahead of last year's numbers.
0: And did you see, by the way, that earlier today they put out word that uh, the Universal annual pass holders... Yeah. Can book their experiences on on VillainCon. I saw that. Is this what we talk about how a, a certain former Imagineer maybe worked on that project? What? A certain what? former Imagineer. What?
2: What? <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know they. You know I go where the I go where I go. Okay. Yeah, no, I know. I do want to get down to VillainCon. I'm going to book my trip as soon as it's open. And I think they're really approaching their technical rehearsal, which is universal speak for what Disney would call soft opening.
1: All right, we have time for some listener questions. Uh, let's go through them real quick. Okay. Uh, eight bajillion of you wrote in to remind me that the Mattel theme park is being built in Glendale, Arizona, not in Glendale, California. I want to offer my sincere apologies first to my high school geography teacher, Larry Knapp of J.P. Taravella High School. For that mistake And I mentioned Larry Napier Because he was actually my geography teacher in high school But he had a love for travel That he imbued in all of his students And I think especially the male ones Because mm. every set of slides he had From different locations around mm. the world Had a different woman in it Honest <laughs> to God Honest. Yeah. And we would we after like the first like three sets of slides, we would yep. we were all figured it out. And we we're like, hey, Mr. Knapp, who's that with you?
2: <laughs> Never mind, <laughs> kids. <laughs> Next slide.
1: <laughs> oh, Larry Knapp. Uh, mm. Unforgettable teacher. Good guy. OK. All right. Oh, uh, here's a question. Here's an opinion question. Uh, Claudia wrote in uh, with this about Mickey's not so scary Halloween party. And she says, I'm planning to travel to Walt Disney World in late September and early October for one week only and coming all the way from the UK. I'm traveling on my own, and my plan is to visit only Disney parks and make the most of the limited time I've got. However, I've discovered on the day that I want to visit the Magic Kingdom, Friday, September 29th, there's a Halloween party, which means that for us non-party people, it's an early night. Should I splurge on a ticket for the not-so-scary Halloween party? I'm staying off-site on US 192. All right, so let's go around the room. Jim Scholl, coming from the UK, trying to maximize your time, in the parks, you think she should splurge for a ticket for the Halloween party?
2: Given the fact that she's coming that distance, I'd say why not? I mean, this is, you know, unique experience and to one, one of a kind and who knows when she'll come back to uh, Orlando again. So yes, strong. Yes. Strong. Yes.
0: All right, Jim Hill. Just on the back of the special entertainments that are only offered during uh, Mickey's Not-So-Scary. I mean, uh, the Hocus Pocus spooktacular in front of the castle alone, I think, is is worth the price of admission. So yes, strong yes. I'm going to say yes as well,
1: and for the same reason as Jim Hill, I'm going to mention a different piece of entertainment. I think the Halloween party parade is the best parade that Disney does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that somebody's handing you out as much chocolate as you can stuff into your <laughs> gaping maw is is just a bonus there so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right next, next uh letters from Brandon who's, mm-hmm. and I, I was laughing because uh, mm-hmm. I, I the only time I, I ever use the phrase uh, gaping maw is when I'm mm-hmm. talking to Hannah about her eating habits and I don't know why that child is in therapy. <laughs> Swear
0: to God. <laughs> but it said with love. It said with I know, love. I know. said no, with love. Exactly. Okay. She <laughs>
1: understands. All right. Okay. All right. Brendan writes in with this. Uh, since Disney released news about the Fort Wilderness cabins transitioning to a DVC property, we mm-hmm. haven't received any new information. I'm curious if you have any information about when the transition will start and when it starts taking place in earnest. All right, mm-hmm. Brendan. We know that they've started moving the cabins in because mm-hmm. we have photos of them. On trucks in Fort Wilderness so Mm -hmm. I would be surprised if we did not see a sort of like a gradual transition where some of the cabins open up especially so that Disney can work out the kinks before you know opening them up to everyone so if you told me like by the beginning of the year we're gonna start to see people actually in the new cabins I would totally believe that
2: yeah that aligns with the stars yes
1: Yeah. Speaking of which, um, have you guys heard anything about uh, Disney
0: shuttering certain parts of certain resorts because of low occupancy? What's kind of interesting is how they've justified this in the past. I mean, it had been soft goods, that sort of thing. And I specifically checked for construction permits
1: before I thought it was that. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. hold on one second. I'm going to share with you guys a photo that I got today Mm -hmm. over at Port Orleans Riverside. And I want your impression of what this is. Can you guys see that? Woof.
2: whoa we
1: Yeah, so there's, I have a few of those. So this is the uh, the Alligator Bayou section of Riverside and then another section, one of the, I think, Magnolia Bend, completely empty, completely devoid of cars. I mean, when I say completely devoid, I mean there are literally zero. And the, the interesting thing here is I went back and checked for construction permits and there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so this is, and this was middle of the day today.
2: Wow. But I will note that there is a stop sign painted on the empty <laughs> parking lot. <which laughs> the empty parking lot, yeah. Probably exactly. not needed.
1: Yeah, probably not there. Yeah. So this is uh, Building 7. Oh, let me go back. Okay. Yeah, and then here's another, uh, here's another section of Alligator And the thing that surprises me is Boy. Alligator Bayou is one of the more popular sections of Riverside because mm-hmm. it sleeps five people. It's got that fold down. Yep. Yeah. And you would think, of, yeah, they, I mean, there are literally no cars
2: here.
0: And this is a moderate, right? It's a moderate, yeah. That's a thing. Ooh. So, yeah, mm,
2: you know, used to stay there all the time. It was a, really, it was close. It was, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it was a little bit more private. No, it's a, that is surprising.
1: It is surprising. That Jim Hill, wasn't, mm-hmm. uh, wasn't Riverside one of the resorts that Disney shuttered after 9-11?
0: Yeah, okay. though remember, I mean, it, it happened kind of in slow motion, yeah. and they would shut down one resort for a set amount of time, and then reopen, and then close another. And you know, yeah. there was some interesting sleight of hand going yeah. on there. Uh, but some
1: some it w- some, uh, some uh, interesting three card monty going on with guests and rooms, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Wow. Though but that is that's startling.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go around
0: the resorts now and see what else is uh, what else is happening. Okay, okay. I'd love to see you report back. All right. Uh,
1: here's a letter from Greg, uh, who uh, is expanding on last week's show, where we talked about the Barbie movie and Disney's struggles with its film franchises. And Greg says, uh, surely the cost of production has increased for Disney movies, but it's only a small part of the issue. If you really can't blame the movie-going public not returning theaters due to COVID either, because look at the success of Top Gun 2 and this year's Spider-Verse movies. I think that Disney's created their own troubles in several ways. First, streaming. When you know you can wait two months and see the latest movie for free, why would you shell out $60 to $80 to take your family? And the second reason is bad movies. Poor scripts have plagued most of Disney's recent movies. It's too much mediocre Marvel, which is mostly what Disney's been producing lately, while Sony has done a great job with Spider-Man. So there are certainly always going to be some external factors that Disney can't control that affects profitability. But I think the major fault of poor box office results for Disney is dot, dot, dot. Disney and Jim I added Greg's thoughts in because I watched Mm -hmm. the Barbie movie on Mm -hmm. Monday and the reason why I watched it on Monday was it was completely sold out on Friday Saturday and Sunday Mm when I wanted to go see it also uh, I'd like to note here that I wore all pink I might add Mm -hmm. because I understood the assignment Um, (laughs) but watching the movie the thought I kept coming back to over and over again as I was watching it was Disney doesn't make movies like this Mm -hmm. and that I mean it was like it was funny it was smart, it was current, it was self-effacing, and it's still out a message. And mm-hmm. Disney and Pixar lately aren't producing funny, smart movies like that. And I think that's part of the problem.
0: Hollywood is cyclic. And a lot of what's going on at Disney are self-inflicted wounds. I mean, yep. I, I did the very thing he talked about, about the whole notion of why pay to see a movie in theaters when you know in 60 days or thereabouts yeah. it's going to show up on Disney+. Plus. That's a real problem right now because... Yep. I don't think people are going to unlearn that, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, I mean, Disney deliberately prevented that from showing up on Disney Plus for 90 days. The decision was, we're going to get maximum value out of the theatrical release of this film, and the day we're recording this, the, the very first previews tonight are of the new Haunted Mansion movie, which, as a, a lot of friends have told me, are, is a lot of fun, but... I'll flat out tell you, Lynn. I don't know as I'm running out to the theater to see that. No.
1: I asked Laurel if she wanted to go see it, and she said no. So if I'm going to go see it, I'm going to do it on my own. But, I mean, the reviews of it,
0: I heard, are mixed at best. Well, anything with Owen Wilson and Danny DeVito. Every review I've I've read
1: says that DeVito is a highlight. Of that film.
0: There's already one line that, that out of this film that I, I, I'm cribbing, and it's just at one point he's being chased by a ghost, and he literally says, I'm too old to die.
2: <laughs> but what I'm getting <laughs> out of the conversation from both of you is you both have an interest in seeing that movie, but there's also the issue that since mm-hmm. we've been trained that that movie will be on Disney Plus mm-hmm. soon, why yeah. not wait? Why not wait? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I, mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I've mean, i seen two movies in theaters in the last month. I saw Indiana Jones and I saw Barbie, both of which I wanted to experience in a theater. And I enjoyed Indiana Jones. I thought it was pleasant. It, it touched all the right themes. I like Harrison Ford. I like the franchise. And I think I said this on the show, it was two and a half hours and that two and a half hours went by fast. Wow. But did it break any new ground? Mm. Was it something that I would talk about or encourage other people to see in theaters? Eh, no, not necessarily. But the Barbie movie was fun, right? There mm-hmm. you were know, a couple of good songs in there. Uh, I thought, you know, uh, Ryan Gosling was, was very funny as Ken. I mm-hmm. thought the, the script was great. Yeah, so I would go see that, you know, in theaters first. So
2: Well, I had a situation similar to that where I had a fi- uh, a need for buttered popcorn in a theater that you can only get <laughs> in a theater. So I went to see The Flash, and oh. uh, I I enjoyed it. The other two men in the theater with me also enjoyed <laughs> <other> it. Yeah, we're
1: going. I have a private. And I, I will say this: that the uh, you know the theater going experience is nice. That the closest theater to my house has mm-hmm. those um, Barca lounger seats that all the way back. Yeah, kind of nice. So you know, you know, I am paying sixty dollars for two people to see a, a show, but whatever, it's fine. All right, last uh, last listener email is mm-hmm. from Matt who sends in a Wall Street Journal ad from a disaster recovery company called Own Backup. And listeners, Mm -hmm. I want you to tell me, Mm -hmm. as I read this ad, if it sounds familiar to you. Are You guys ready for this? Yep, ready. Quoting verbatim, not making this up. 2,000 years ago, a raging fire destroyed the Great Library of Alexandria. And with it, all of recorded history was lost forever. Or so it was thought. Unbeknownst to all, copies of these books had been independently stored throughout libraries of the Middle East. This was the world's first backup system. Throughout history, humankind has meticulously recorded our knowledge, from cave paintings to papyrus scrolls, libraries to hard drives, and now to the cloud, including the world's most advanced software-as-a-service applications. And I actually wrote. I wrote to the company owned yep. Backup, and I said, "Please tell me that mm-hmm. your marketing team went to Walt Disney World and came up with this, and that you did not pay an external ad agency for this. Please tell me you didn't pay money for this ad." And I sent them a copy of the the Spaceship Earth script. I have not heard back from them yet.
2: <laughs> but we'll I, see.
0: <laughs> I'm reading further down, Len, and I still don't see you can thank the Phoenicians. So maybe you know, there's a maybe, get out of jail free card. Maybe just a
2: coincidence.
1: I was talking to people, and they're like, do you think that ChatGPT came up with it? I'm like, it's entirely possible ChatGPT came up with this.
2: (laughs) That is
0: cool.
1: All right. All right, one last thing thing before we uh, Mm -hmm. uh, cut to break. This week, while I was uh, working around the Barbie movie, I -hmm. also revisited the Buddy Baker Music Archives at NYU. Mm -hmm. And our listeners will remember that the uh, Buddy Baker Archives hold a ton of music that Buddy wrote for Disney for 40 years, starting around 1960. Mm -hmm. And in previous shows, Jim, we've talked about some of the theme park music we found in the archives that was never used in the parks, right? So Mm -hmm. we've talked about the two songs from Enchanted Snow Palace, Mm -hmm. which was the 1970s Mark Davis concept Mm -hmm. for the story that became Frozen. Uh, We found three tracks from Epcot's Never Built Africa Pavilion and then two songs from the earliest concept for Epcot's Energy Pavilion, which was supposed to have Jiminy Cricket, plus Mm -hmm the earliest version of Epcot's USA Pavilion song titled This Is America. All right, so my goal in visiting this week was to go through the remaining archive boxes that were not mm-hmm. directly related to the theme parks and see mm-hmm. if anything turned up. And archiving mm-hmm. is a messy business, and sometimes things get misfiled. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to report that I think I've found four additional previously unknown theme park songs. There were two more songs related to Epcot's Energy Pavilion. but mm-hmm. one of them is a song called Conservation from 1977 with Jiminy Cricket. And Jim Hill, I'm confident this is not for the Jiminy Cricket cartoon about energy, which we talked about on a previous show, Mm -hmm. because that cartoon was released in 1973, and this song is dated four years later. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Also, and this is where it gets weird, Mm -hmm. and Shul, if you want to weigh in on this, there's an untitled song that appears to have the enchanted Tiki Room birds talking about nuclear fusion. Not making it up. And I think it's specifically the Enchanted Tiki Room Birds because the lyrics indicate that one of the birds is supposed to have a German accent, and it says parrot and toucan in it. Oh.
2: Oppenheimer huh. the bird, the sequel. Oppenheimer the bird, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and the interesting thing is both of these songs were in the Living with the Land folder, which makes me think it was part of an overall Epcot recording session like that week. Wow. Yeah. That's a find. Okay. Yeah. There's also an undated song titled Wonderful World of Motion, parentheses, Centercore. Mm-hmm. And then something called simply Drinking Song. I think that is classically Epcot, but we'll see. Okay. And then the uh, the last thing was uh, a song for Fantasyland titled Flying Saucer. And I think this was for a film because it references cues and mm-hmm. film length saying in feet and inches, how long the song is supposed to go on for.
0: Mm. Yeah. Okay.
1: Anyway, I'm in the process of getting this sheet music recorded as audio and mm-hmm. we'll talk about them on an upcoming show. But yeah,
0: interesting stuff. Cool, cool. Well, no, no thank to Thanks for schlepping over there and digging through Buddy Baker's boxes. Yeah, the uh, I mean the Enchanted Tiki Room thing is
2: weird, right? It's one of the things that always happened at Disney. You'd get one assignment and then suddenly, since you're at the piano, why don't you mm. just work on something else for us and
1: Yeah. Yeah, this was bizarre. I uh, I emailed uh Martin Smith, you know, from Martin's Vids cuz he did the definitive um, you know, uh, video on the history of the Energy Pavilion. I'm like, have you have you heard of any of this?
0: And I sent him, you know, a copy of the music, and he's like, nope, new to me. So mm-hmm. interesting. There was a time in the '80s where they were looking to do an update of the Tiki Room, where it was all celebrity voices, and so, mm-hmm. for example, Woody Harrelson. And Ted Danson from Cheers were going to be two of the the Parrot voices. There was going to be a, a musical vignette in the middle of it they announced the lovebirds are going to come out and sing and these two short squat birds were going to appear and one was going to be voiced by Danny DeVito and the other one was by Rhea Perlman and they were just Uh. basically, you know, and then the finale was Uh. actually supposed to be when the the birdie go around with all the little white parrots coming down, the, the cockatiels. The lead performer then was supposed to be voiced by Bette Midler. And so, I mean, I know this show got written and boarded, but uh, they never turned the key. And given that, when Marky explained this to me, the topic of nuclear fission never came up. So I don't think the <laughs> song was for that show. So
1: it's going to be super interesting. We'll see what what happens. It uh, it, and the other interesting thing is the song references both the years nineteen thirty nine and nineteen sixty four, which mm-hmm. were the times of two world's fairs. They were. Yeah, we'll
0: see. We'll see. Okay. See what happens. okay. Super excited. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim and Jim tell us about the early days of Shanghai Disneyland. We'll be right back. And we're back. All right. Before we get started today, I wanted to circle back to the updates that are happening at the Pixar Place project, the hotel over in Disneyland. This is the uh, the retheming of the Paradise Pier Hotel. And the reason why uh, I wanted to circle back on it is it's going to be sort of Toy Story related, which is what we're talking about. But I would say it the initial concept art that was released for this uh, Jim and Jim was not super impressive to the Disney community. Would you Would you agree?
0: It looked kind of simplistic, right? This hotel is not supposed to open till the winter of 2023. So mm. we are, you know, at least another 5 months out from this Fair. being completed. And and yeah, when when the lobby was first thrown open and the online community did not respond in a positive way, but Just last week, they added this giant display of Luca-themed art. It's in the lobby right across from the the elevator bank and supposedly looks spectacular. and, And then later this summer... We're going to see a brand new Nemo-themed water play area come online at the Pixar Place Hotel. In fact, that's going to feature a 186-foot-long water slide. But, Len, you've talked previously about having stayed here when this was the Disneyland Pacific Hotel. And I know on earlier shows we have talked about how, well, remember, when this debuted back in 1985, this this 281-room hotel... It was the Emerald Hotel of Anaheim. It had been built by a Japanese consortium uh, with the notion of there were so many people at that time who were traveling from Japan to go to the real Disneyland. So the thinking was, let's build a Japanese-friendly hotel right across from the resort. And I remember you you talking about having been there and just... It was kind of an oddly set up hotel for an angle, right?
1: It was definitely built for the Japanese tourists because I'm 5'9 mm-hmm. on a good day in heels. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and yet <laughs> I, I, was, uh, I was taller than the shower head <laughs> in mm-hmm. the bathroom. Like it, okay. was, it was weird for me having to duck under the shower head to mm-hmm. take a shower. That was my big thing on it. It was not a great hotel.
2: Mm -hmm. But it Mm -hmm. did have a good restaurant. I mean, a lot of Imagineers would duck over there across the street Mm -hmm. when we wanted a good, I mean, authentic, good Japanese meal.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll give them that. Also, um, you know, for Disney, if you're listening to the show, and I know you are, here's a rule. Anything that has to do with the name Luca automatically goes on the second floor, not in the lobby.
2: (laughs) Oh, God. Suzanne, I don't make the rules. Suzanne
1: Suzanne Vega makes the rules. I do not make the rules. Anyway. (laughs) Deep cut, Len. Deep, deep cut. I know. Yeah.
2: This is what this is what people get on
1: this show, Jim.
2: I'll bring my umbrella with me next time I go down to walk down <laughs> oh, the thank sidewalk. You. Thank okay. you.
1: All right. I brought up I brought a Pixar place because uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's tough to mm-hmm. turn an existing hotel into a place mm-hmm. that celebrates all things Pixar, but imagine what it must be like to have to do something like that from the ground up. And that's why we brought in longtime imagineer and friend of the show, Jim Scholl to discuss the Toy Story Hotel, which opened along with the rest of Shanghai Disneyland Resort back in June of 2016. All right, so we, we know that you've designed rides and shows for the parks. How did you end up doing a hotel, the Toy Story Hotel for Shanghai?
2: Well, Elaine, you got to understand, one of the things about WDI is we're a project-based company. and So I just come off of uh, working several years on the original Toy Story Playland, uh, which went into the Walt Disney Studios in Paris, and like all Imagineers, mm-hmm. when you finish a gig, you start looking around for the next one. And so I'm sitting at my desk when my telephone rings, and on the other line, end of the line is Mr. Bob Weiss, who mm-hmm. uh, turns t- and says to me, "Hey, uh, you know, I understand you're available, and uh, since you know something about Toy Story and you've worked on Pixar projects before." Mm-hmm. How would you like to work on a hotel based on Toy Story for this little thing we're doing in Shanghai called Shanghai Disneyland?
0: I remember hearing that there was a Pixar-themed moderate hotel mm-hmm. in the works for Shanghai, and this 800-room hotel at that point wasn't going to be uh, uh, themed around Toy Story. That, that In fact, at, at that point, the manager supposedly wanted to theme it around Wally. They had focus groups, and the mm-hmm. the Chinese d- didn't necessarily respond all that strongly to Wall-E. And so then then sure. there was another focus group where they floated the idea of theming the hotel around The Incredibles, and the Chinese didn't respond as strongly as, as Disney had hoped. So huh. Toy Story was kind of the third times the charm. The the default. We're we're just going to
1: go af- alphabetically through the uh, through the. <laughs>
2: You know, Film I, guys, I don't think the the I think the simpler the answer to your question is simpler than it might appeal. You know, okay. one of the things about it is that in Shanghai and in all of China, mm-hmm. there was a boom of making and building and opening movie theaters for no. years. Okay. You really didn't have movie theaters, and so movies that you mentioned before, like Wall-E or Incredibles. Mm-hmm. There just weren't movie theaters to see these movies in, so it wasn't that they were bad movies; you just mm-hmm. simply couldn't see them, for example, when I lived over there i had uh, there was a certain section of town where you could buy movies, and gee, some of them were actually legal, and so I had one particular <laughs> really? man in wow. his on his block. Yeah, on this block I would go to, and everyone had their own dealer that they'd go to. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wanted the the latest uh, copy of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which had just been released mm-hmm. in the United States. And I went to my dealer and said, well, do you have one? He said, yes, Shulsan, we do. we do. We actually have a copy. But, oh, good, here's my money. Here's my RB. Oh, no, mm-hmm. no, no, no. I could sell it to you but wait till next week next week you'll get the better copy you know my son right at, now is in Sky in the will theater. Be ready. <laughs> my son's battery i think you know when he was filming it you know, know died or something but so my point is that they're good movies they just weren't well-known movies and let's face it toy story had what one two three sequels
0: remember this info is bubbling up and 2010, and that's when Toy Story 3 came out and was right. at that point the biggest earner of the series so far. So, not too hard to draw a straight line as to why that wound up as the theme. So,
1: Okay, so I get, that, I get that's why the theme, but Shul, how did you get sucked into the project?
2: Well, again, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there with nothing to do, and Bob Weiss calls me and says, would you like to do something? So, you know, I, I, did, I did two things. I, you know, immediately I said yes, um, which in retrospect, i I didn't take time to read the fine print, which is you know you know in car buying and and you know accepting assignments always read the fine print because one week later I found myself standing boots on the ground in a Nanjing road in the middle of Shanghai in the middle of summer and I have some photographs mm. of myself, and I did not look like a happy camper. I looked like I would jumped out of, <laughs> swum across the Hung River and jumped out to have my photograph taken because I was dripping, you know, just this sweaty, tired, mm. jet-lagged mess. But mm. I was committed. I was there in Shanghai and, uh, so to speak, stalking the land. Now, remember, you know, at this point, Shanghai Disneyland was still literally marshland. There was nothing there. That wasn't even an office, but okay. we did have an office, not on site, but off site. Mm-hmm. And that's where I set up camp to figure out, well, what, how do you do a hotel for the Chinese based around a, a, a known and famous and beloved Pixar franchise? How do you do okay. that?
1: And was somebody already working on the hotel project when you became involved? And did you take it over or was this like from the ground up?
2: Yes and no. There were people who were working, but they were uh, an architectural firm based in Miami, Florida. They had created the Mm -hmm. building shell and building program. If you, you know, and I never built or designed a hotel before, but I quickly learned, you know, there's things you can't do. Like there's going to be a toilet. You can't argue. There's going to be a toilet. It's going to be, and the paper, and the roll is going to be to the left. It's going to be a given. And so I, I inherited that building program uh, and then I could start to, you know, I had my closet. I could start hanging my clothes in the closet that was already designed. So it was a yes and no. But honestly, I had a pretty open Greenfield design uh, arena for me to play and frolic in.
1: So, so Jim, you you get invited to to work on this. Another company had already um, taken a stab at the shell of the hotel, which I get, right? That's what their job is, who do you have to convince and how do you do that, uh, that you're the person for this job?
2: What I did was I produced as many drawings as I could in a week. And Mm -hmm. then I scavenged a couple of four by four black Gator boards that I could pin the drawings into. And I marched them over into a theater there located uh, at 1401 Glendale Mm -hmm. on Flower Street. And I walked in there naively with my little boards, and I'm, I'm hanging up my little boards, and I'm looking around, and I realize, oh crap! Everyone else on the project for every one of the lance it had, had over a year, and so they've I've got two boards and a couple of pin drawings. You, you, you've they've had got 20,
1: 20 minutes of a long lunch.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've got they have ferns and video, and they have play actors, and they have artwork, and they have animatics and models and all that, and I've got my little drawings pinned on some borrowed storyboards and I'm standing there and the doors open and here comes Mr. Iger.
0: <laughs> oh
1: <laughs> and you're and you're like, this is the best I could do on short notice. All right. Mm. So so what do you say? Like, Bob, you are a handsome and powerful man and here are my four drawings. Like what do you where do you go from there?
2: Like what do you what, did he ask questions? Oh absolutely no he asked a lot of questions. Remember this the reality is this: this enormous room with all the video and the potted palms that I was competing against. You mm-hmm. know, we're still spending a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of the reputation of the Walt Disney Company for this hotel. Sure. And again, it was a beloved franchise. You know, the people at sure. Pixar who had birthed this franchise really cared deeply about it. So, I mm-hmm. talked to Bob mostly about what the foundational values were. And Bob quickly, you know, pointed out something that, you know, he wanted as as an idea, which was, he said, you're not going to make this like the art of animation in Florida, are you? And I thought, what is he really asking? And I realized what Mm. he's really asking was you're not going to make it, you know, childish. I mean, it's obviously art of animation. If stayed there. It's gorgeous, it's fantastic hotel. Uh, But it's very definitely aimed at the family audience. Whereas in China, you have a different... You have a different setup. You know, you're dealing with a one-child family. You're dealing with different units, although you may have a room with three generations coming to it. So I turned to Bob Iger and I said, look, it's going to be childlike but never childish, meaning Mm. that anyone could come in here and feel very much at home and the artwork would be new and the sculpts would be new and the design would be new. And it would actually be a cut above our normal, moderate-priced, Florida hotel. It would be something that would really punch above its weight. And he he pivoted and said, "Okay, I'll see you at the opening." No. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay.
1: <laughs> and everyone who had the uh, the animatronics and the uh, and the dancers and were like, "What? That? That's it?" <laughs> what? <laughs>
2: Honestly, you know, the truth is, at that point, you know, the blood rushed to my head, and I don't remember much. I don't remember anything after that. That Next thing I
1: remember, I'm in Shanghai. All right.
2: Exactly. You know, Mm -hmm. in Shanghai, hot and wet.
1: All right. So Shanghai Disneyland was then going to have both a Toy Story Land and a Toy Story Hotel.
2: Eventually it would, but not now, because remember, in the original plan, there was no Toy Story land in that park. Mm. It didn't come until much later. In fact, it came, I would say, a year after I was already working on Toy Story Hotel, and I was at that point living in Shanghai.
0: Given that the year previous opened uh, Toy Story Land in Paris, Hong Kong was about to open. This was clearly an idea that was traveling the globe, and it was kind of not very well-kept dirty little secret that a lot of the parks around the globe were going to have Toy Story Lands, and and among them supposedly was Shanghai. But how do you do that then? How do you, understanding that potentially further on down the line, there's going to be a full-blown Toy Story Land inside of Shanghai Disneyland, and yet you've got to create a hotel around that very same IP that that has to be similar yet different. I mean, that's that's got to be a huge challenge.
2: Well, you do it because you hold some of your cards back. You mm-hmm. don't play every card. If you're, for example, if you're going to be doing a Toy Story hotel. You don't put all of the toys and the iconography and the graphics and the figure sculpts that you mm-hmm. had in Toy Story Playland or Toy Story Land in Hong Kong in the hotel, because then if you build a Toy Story Land in Shanghai, you've just spent a, you, you spent all everything that you had as far as idea capital. So mm-hmm. basically, it was that two-lane approach. The first lane was going to be that more childlike, but not childish approach, more Mm -hmm. sophisticated punch above your weight for the hotel.
1: And Edgar kind of said this, right? He was like, you know, it's going to be authentically Disney, but distinctly Chinese.
2: Yeah. And and so then that that allowed me then when I got that second phone call while I was living in Shanghai at the Kerry Hotel at 4 a.m. Again, when they patched me through and said, Bob Weiss is on the phone for you. I said, what? And Bob was on the line and said, mm-hmm. hey, uh, you know, good news. We're going to be mm-hmm. building the Toy Story Land. And since you're already over there. <laughs> you know, it's just cheaper to have you stay another year. <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah, just yeah, to just save, save the frequent flyer miles. But anyway, long story short, I was loving to do it because, again, mm-hmm. for that project, I don't like doing things a second time. But that I made yeah. the exception for because for Toy Story Land Shanghai, I mm-hmm. had a chance to completely rethink it and it also let me an opport gave me an opportunity to validate my assumption that you could do a more sophisticated take on the Toy Story franchise and IP for a hotel mm-hmm. than you would do for a land.
0: You stepped into this project and and inherited a lot of stuff. And for example, you talked about the firm in Miami that had designed, you know, the build program and and you know, the shell of the building which what I found fascinating is you, it was Shaped like the number eight, right? And you have a building handed to you and it's like, make this Toy Story themed, to go. You know, uh, <laughs> how do you do that?
2: You know, backing up the truck, you know, for example, when you have the security cameras, they go to an office and that's part of the figure eight. So I couldn't bump out the building. Whatever the figure eight was, that was mm. it. That was not going to ever change. Mm. However, again, looking to make the lemonade, I thought, hmm, what does Buzz Lightyear say? What is his catchphrase? To infinity.
1: You you didn't. I
2: did. I'm, I'm shameless. You didn't. I'm shameless. <laughs> you.
1: It's a it's a figure eight because the figure eight on its side is the symbol for infinity. In
2: infinity, and beyond.
1: You built a hotel as a sight gag.
2: Yes. The thing. So <laughs> listeners, go to Google Earth and verify. Validate I'm not what at I just it told now, you. I am looking at it now. Wow.
1: I I cannot express how much I love this idea. I Mm -hmm. Like the funniest thing I've ever heard. That is Mm -hmm. beautiful.
2: So the other question is then, you know, I have this figure eight and I have it on a side and it's a large, very large building with flat sides. Mm. And so you gotta do something with that. And so that took a lot of work, a lot of thinking back and forth. And well, I guess you probably have seen photographs of it. And what do you see on the exterior? Have you noticed Mm -hmm. the glass? where there are two sets of clouds that are literally inspired by the cloud wallpaper designed from the movies in andy's bedroom
1: are the clouds 3d i can't i haven't seen the hotel in person are the clouds like three-dimensional
2: you know it's funny they actually are in two panes of glass and they're tinted and the clouds are fritted glass now frit is like a, a window screen like the type that you'd have on your car um, mm-hmm. And the reason for that is to be able to see through it. And mm-hmm. here's a factoid. The clouds actually spread over two sets of windows. Every room has two sets of windows. And so mm. part of the work in the design was calculating to make sure that every room had one clear pane of glass. Now, <laughs> you may ask why. Why? Okay, thank you. <laughs> I understand it cute. <laughs> because, you know, you're living in a world of social media, and everybody who gets into their room wants to take a photograph outside yeah. their room through oh. the glass. And you know what happens if they're shooting through fritted glass? They get a oh, photograph with a lot of grain in it, and they hilarious. they don't like that. So right, yeah. a lot of calculation, a lot of hours was spent trying to do these, a pattern that we did eventually did, and we had to do three mock-ups to validate mm. that pattern But every room has one piece of clear glass to take your photograph through.
0: Can you talk about how you delineated which wing of the hotel people were then staying in? This
1: was my question.
0: How do you tell people
1: where they are in the resort? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, true enough. Because you can't rely on language. So you rely Mm -hmm. on pictures or pictographs. Mm -hmm. And again, remember in China, you're dealing a lot of times with three generations. So you have Mm -hmm. the child who knows the the characters and who says to the parents, hey, let's go there. The parents who give the child what they want. And the grandparents who are just following along, who have no idea who Toy Story, the characters are. So when they're standing, checking at the lobby desk, what they're told is, oh, you're staying in the woody wing or buzz wing and the person the the group goes i don't know what you're talking about Mm -hmm. oh go over there where the spaceman is Mm -hmm. and so as a result there is literally a 12 by 17 foot lenticular that was custom designed custom built in china that's hanging on the entrance into the buzz wing there's a smaller but similar custom lenticular for the woody character with jesse that's the entrance to the Woody Wing. So again, someone there, a cast member at the desk just simply points and says, go to the cowboy, go to the spaceman.
1: And these are these are sort of like the icons that we see in front of Pop Century or Art of Animation or um, the all-star resorts, the giant figures out in front of the, the hotel, right? The buildings.
2: No, you're, you're jumping ahead a little bit and they're not out in front of the hotel. They're actually in the two oh. courtyards. Because remember back when we talked a moment ago about the Figure eight. Well, every figure eight then has the donut and the hole, and those are the two courtyards. So we had the oh, Woody courtyard oh, oh. and the Buzz courtyard. And the oh, Woody courtyard is right outside the lobby. So when you go to check in through the glass behind the lobby desk, you see a full size Woody on bullseye on blocks rearing back in the middle of his courtyard.
1: Oh, got it. Okay. I see it now.
2: And then directly on the other side of the hotel, in a similar courtyard, there's a figure for Buzz, which Mm -hmm. if you've been to Toy Story Playland in Paris, it's Mm -hmm. exactly that same pose that's there. So that was the second of the two Buzzes. He eventually, as a factoid, made another appearance over in Florida, in their Toy Story land. He made another appearance for the fourth time in the... Tokyo version of Toy Story Hotel. So, Buzz he does get along and gets around.
1: So, where did the uh, where did the characters outside come from? Same uh, same idea?
2: Well, a lot of it came from working ag- again with the people who knew Toy Story best, which were the people at Pixar. And so, we'd lock ourselves I'd go up to Emeryville and lock myself in a room with them and we do brainstormings about what's iconic, what's interesting, what's something you can take a photograph of. And mm. so we started developing a, the pattern and the, the the pose and then created a digital output and then created the full-scale carved foam down in Glendale. And mm. uh, eventually, when that was completed, uh, we would have all the people who needed to come down to Glendale to look and approve it before we would create it and send it off to the vendor in Shanghai.
0: This was an enormous stature at the Woody and Buzz thing, right? Were you able to assemble it beforehand so people could eyeball
2: it? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up, Mr. Hill. Yes, (laughs) yes, we did. But, you know, as large as the clear span warehouse space in 1401 Flower Street is, Mm -hmm. it wasn't Mm -hmm. big enough. So, you know, when you look at uh, Woody on Bullseye, well, in order to approve Bullseye, well, we had to cut Bullseye's legs off and just <coughs> set, him, set him on the ground. And then Woody, when he had his arm in the air holding his hat, we didn't take that arm off. And then moreover, we all had to go as far as we could in that war- warehouse on a mark on the floor and tape. And we would lie down on our sides on the concrete because that's the exact position that the guests would be in the field in Shanghai to get their beauty shot of seeing the character.
1: Wow, oh. you know, you got to admire the amount of thinking that went into that. That's kind of that's kind of clever. Not not gonna lie, that's a lot of effort.
2: Yeah, but my mm-hmm. wife didn't appreciate that I was covered with uh, foam dust that night. when <laughs> yeah, came I was gonna
1: on. say, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you smell like
1: fiberglass and resin. <laughs>
0: Can you talk about how you guys decided to sort of tailor Toy Story for the Chinese market?
2: Well, a lot of it goes back down to research. Remember, we talked mm-hmm. a few minutes ago about my first trip. In China, standing on Nanjing Road. Well, Mm -hmm. on Nanjing Road, there's an enormous toy shop, which is why I went there. And So I went down, Mm -hmm. pulled out my Disney Visa card, and bought a lot of toys. Now, Mm -hmm. mind you, I didn't want Western toys. I wanted Chinese toys. And what I ended up walking out of that store with were several large bags of Chinese toys, such as Chinese tops, and Chinese dolls, and Chinese Mm -hmm. kites. And so pulling from that reference, I thought, ooh, we need to do kites because everyone knows them, they are familiar with them and they get Mm. that. But that started the process of then going back to Pixar and developing designs for Chinese kites with the Pixar characters.
1: Oh, nice, that's a nice touch.
2: It was, it was a nice touch, but it also meant that we had to find out somebody who would actually build these. So again going to you know going to into the research uh ended up two flights first up to guangzhou china which is famous for building kites it's also the home of guangzhou beer so uh, uh, no, literally okay. we would we would uh, because you don't you don't drive in china we had a chinese vendor well, in fact, we did. We went to several Chinese vendors. So every time we'd go to a Chinese vendor, at the end of the trip, we'd get back into our company van, and the Chinese vendor would come over and w- two bags, a bag mm-hmm. of kites for each of the people in our team, oh. mm-hmm. and a bag of Quanju beer. So at, the, <laughs> so, at the end of the end of that week of travel, we we ended up uh, with the back of the van filled with beer. And again, we're at the end of our trip and thinking what can we do with this? And we ended up gifting it to our van driver. And sure. he didn't speak any English, but he could certainly smile broadly.
1: I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that we're ever going to use vendors for this show, Jim. But if we do, I'd like to be handed a bag of kites and a bag of beer at the end of every interaction. I just think that that's, that's civilized, you
0: know? You're not wrong. I, I no, By the way, just to sort of bring things back, to the Pixar Place project in Anaheim, which again, yeah. ongoing through December of this year. And again, they are adding pieces every week to that thing. Do we know if they're doing any oversized character pieces there as well? I mean, similar to the the, the Woody and the Bullseye in, in the courtyard off the lobby of the Shanghai Hotel? Or? No, I haven't mm. heard
2: mm. anything of that. I. But again, mm. you know, one of the notes I'll make about the Pixar Place Hotel is, you know, I don't hold a judgment for it because like movies, I don't judge a movie based on the trailer and, you know, putting Luxo into the hotel doesn't mean that they're done by a long shot.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think, shoal that they're they're trying actively to tie the uh, hotel to Pixar Pier, the land within DCA? Uh,
2: not any longer. I think that, that ship, ha ha, sh- sailed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you go back in time, you know, when we were working on paradise pier 2.0 there was a real effort then to take the old pan pacific hotel and make that the pixar hotel the pixar pier Mm -hmm. hotel and they did a lot of work they did a new painting on the exterior they did a graphics package and then the crenellated wave everyone remembers the crenellated wave on the top because the purpose was well you remember and you reacted the way they wanted you to when Mm -hmm. you'd stand in the pier you'd look across the hotel and think oh they're connected yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you have, well, you have you have the Pixar Pier, mm-hmm. but across the way, you don't have the Pixar Pier Hotel, you have the Pixar Place Hotel. So mm-hmm. for that reason, they're not done, and I don't know if they intend them to visually connect, mm-hmm. uh, but we shall see.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think, Len, weren't you saying when we were in the park, because I guess they were putting the, the initial white, Primer coat or whatever on the outside of at the hotel. And how I was waiting. I was, I was waiting for the giant
1: red cross to be painted on the side so it could look more like a hospital.
0: Uh, <laughs> like, are, we, are helicopters going to land on here with uh, with, with patients? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: it does yeah, have that. Fine, it does fine. have an insurance company vibe to it.
0: But again, they have till December, so we can hope that things improve and. Mr. Schull, you'll be headed back there in the, in the next couple of months, you know, down to Dianheim, right?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll be swinging dot by as I normally do, and I will absolutely be sure to check in and see how they're doing.
1: you going on that 186-foot water slide?
2: Uh, there are some things I take off the table. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do a lot for my craft, but sliding down <laughs> a nearly 190-foot slide is not one of them, Lynn. Not one uh, of those things. Uh, uh, uh,
1: all right, fair enough. It's what happens when you retire and have to pay for your own health insurance, right?
2: (laughs) Go figure. Stay healthy. Mm
1: -hmm. All right, folks, that's going to do it for our show today. You can help support the show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. And you can also email for tech support, support at Bandcamp.com. I'd like to thank uh, Jim Schul for being on the show. On next week's show, I'm on a cruise in Europe uh, Jim, do you think you can give some up-and-coming young talent their first big break into podcasting?
0: Oh <laughs> my! Um, perhaps. All right. See what you can, see so you having can do. Having conversation that, that someone right. someone might be willing to fill in for you, Len. You know, All and, right. Well, you know,
1: see what you can do. Who knows? Okay. <laughs> you can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Len at touringplanes.com. Jim Scholl, where can people find you?
2: They can find me on uh, Jim Scholl and at Twitter.
1: Fantastic. And we're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be singing backup on Hey, and Here Comes Your Man for the Pixies live on Wednesday, August 30th, 2023 at the Salt Shed on North Elston Avenue in beautiful downtown Chicago, Illinois. While Aaron's doing that, please go on iTunes and Raider Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.